You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, right, so one of the, the early scenes of Peter Pan, the way Peter first gets um, gets to meet uh, Wendy and and, uh, and everyone else is because as he's escaping, his shadow gets trapped in the uh, his shadow gets trapped in the room, and then um, later um, later right, uh, he comes back to he comes back to get the shadow, and right, he's crying and he's right, he's crying he says because he can't get his shadow to stick on. And uh, Wendy immediately realizes that it must be sewn on, right? Because uh, boys don't know about that. And she sews it on, and then uh, Peter immediately forgets that she has sewn it on. Right? There's a lot of uh, a lot of gender satire in lots of ways going on here. Um, but it's an interesting notion that a person's shadow is part of them and can be separated from them. And even though in the play, not so, the original play, not so much is made of the original novel, but uh, later on Disney makes a lot more out of the shadow. The shadow comes to life itself. Uh, so what do you understand? All right, let's take away. What does it mean for a Peter Pan to have, what, what is a person's shadow that goes with them? Is there any symbolism here at all? Uh, right, what would it mean, what would it mean for someone to have a shadow? I roll it once. Yes, hi Marty. <laughs> okay, right? So that could be, right? It could be that we're could be that there's no significance to it at all, right? That it's just, you know, it's just a shtick. Um like like, you know, and you and you can believe in sh- you know, you, you know, shadows are more real than fairies presumably. And they exist whether or not you believe in them. Um uh, but we can say, like, you know, Peter lost his shadow fine, and it doesn't tell us anything about the nature of of who Peter Pan was. Uh, we can't really talk about the difference between someone who has a shadow, uh, or someone who doesn't have a shadow. Uh, okay, anybody? Did anybody take it more seriously than that? Whether or not they have a Sandy Duncan issue. <laughs> um, okay, one could, you know, usually we talk about people. Yes. Aha. Okay. Interesting. Right. So that's right. It, it, right. Va- uh, right. Vampires don't have shadows. Right. That's very. Uh, that's very famous. Right. There's the marvelous, uh, marvelous Farsight episode about that. Uh, if if count about that. And why don't vampires have shadows? So to have a shadow means to be somehow alive. Um, or right. We could be. We could be darker. We could say that to have a shadow is to have the possibility of death. Right? Vampires don't have shadows. Right. Shadow because they're not alive, and what, to be alive means to have the possibility of death, right? That would be a that would be a, a more radical reading. Or we could talk about shadow selves in terms of you right, in in um, in other kinds of literature. Your shadow your your shadow self is your Yitzhara, and you're your Yitzhar Tov, um, and that would also be an interesting thing that um, 
that Peter Pan is separable that way because he never grows up? Um, interesting question, right? What you know, what Yitzhak Adam Raminu Rav means? Okay, good. Right, that was, I think the um, I think the connection to vampires is really excellent. Um, okay, now why am I thinking right? What's the shtick that connects that to this week's parsha? Uh, maybe more than a shtick is we have in Parshat Shlach, uh, right? So the right, so the uh, Jews say to each other, Perik Yudalit Pasuk Dalit, Rosh Mitzrayma. Uh, right, which either means right, depends what you think. The rest Rosh means either we'll give us, we'll give ourselves a direction, or we'll uh, appoint somebody, and we'll return to Mitzrayim. And Moshe and Aaron fall on their faces before Kol Kaladat and Israel, and Yeshua ben Nun and Kaleb ben Shune, among the those who were who right who were the, uh, spying in the land, the Tzarim Aretz, tear their clothes, and they make the following speech to Kol Adat and Israel: Aretz Asher Varnu Turota, the land that we traversed. Um, in order to uh, to spy it out, Savar is ma'od ma'od. The land is very, 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 very good. Um, I wonder, as I say, right, whether you know, the repetition of ma'od uh, sends some people back to Reb Meir's uh, right. The tov ma'od on Yomashi ve'yarkum shara savni tov ma'od. Reb Meir says tov ma'od tov ma'od zeitzar. No, somebody says tov ma'zeitzaran. Reb Meir says zemita. So I wonder if ma'od ma'od. In terms of what they saw as the, the people dying, is somehow referenced here. Um, okay, im banu Hashem. If great, if God, if God finds us desirable, uh, and He brings us to this land, and He gives it to us. Right, flowing milk and honey. We all know that. Okay, ach b'Hashem al timrodu. Don't rebel against God. Ve'atem al tiruut amaaretz, and don't be afraid of. Amaretz, which for now we're going to translate as right. I think for this week we'll translate as the nation, right? The people already don't be afraid of the people who are currently living there. He lachmenuhem, right? Very vivid image because there are bread. Sartzilama me'alehem. So what does sartzilama me'alehem mean? Uh, right. The simplest literal translation is their shadows have departed from them. Vashemitanu altiruum and God is with us. Don't be afraid of them. And then everybody's reaction to the speech is to try to stone them, and then Hashem appears in all moids. So like, what I want to talk about this week is uh, really from a straight Parshanut perspective, although we'll see, you know, often taking, going through all the Parshanim uh, takes one into wild detours. What does it mean that their shadows have, or their, their sail has, uh, has vanished from them? So shadow, we can, we can already figure out the, Engl- right, the English... Um, the English analogy is the English right, is there's there's shade, right? So a shade and a shadow are uh, are connected, and to be in sail is to be a uh, is to be a shade. But we'll see that there's at least one other word that is called to mind by in Hebrew by um, by tzilam, other than maybe two at least two other words I would say other than um, other than just the word sail. So what are they? What what does it mean, right? When Yeshua and Kalev turn to them or at least, uh, and say, their shadows are gone, does it mean they're vampires? So that wouldn't be so encouraging. It's, it's hard to defeat vampires. Maybe they're just distributing garlic. Um, and you know, so, right, it is, are, are the ideas that we suggested for Peter Pan that way, right? Are they um, are they are they possible to relate that to the way in which Yeshua and Kalev relate to the um, relate to the Canaanites? So Angela says, uh, So Ada Tukvahon, I think, means the the crowns of their strength. Um, okay, that's why, why is that a sale? Okay, 
uh, the Yerushalmi says Chil Gevurton, the uh, or Chel Gevurton, which is again the force of their so Gevurton could mean um, just their power, it could mean their masculinity, uh, right? There is a sort of uh, uh, I don't know, it could be it could be some kind of bloody humor going on that uh, on the one hand, right? Because we're um, later uh, later on um, later on, later when in the Haftorah. Right, so Rachav Hazona, right, Rachav, who leads, right, who leads everybody to be mostly carried just for citing her name. So also she's she's going to make the claim. Right, she claims that uh, actually, right, there's no, right, the, all of Canaan has become impotent in the, um, in the, uh, in the, in the, in, out of fear of the, of the, uh, of the invasion of Nei Israel. So it could be that Chil Gavurton is a reference to masculinity um, here as well. Um, okay, right. So far, what we haven't seen is any real relationship to the word tail. Um, okay, right. So the the Targum Yerushalmi, um, if the, right, we take the insertion of the tet, so of our tlehon meilehons, right. So Jastra there tells you that the tlehon is their coverings, like their tablecloth is off. Okay, what does that mean? Um, Ibn Ezra says, Sar Tzilam Kiagibor. Im lo magen shegenolav v'yetzalalo liboira. So this is a very interesting notion that people get very afraid when they don't have their shield. Courage, to some extent, is a function of having a function of having a shield, and so therefore to lose your tail is, in a sense, to lose your gvura. So that's an interesting claim. Uh, if it's not obvious to me that warriors in all eras had shields. Uh, that's an interesting, uh, interesting claim, um, and that courage is a product of having a shield is a very strange, it's a very strange and odd claim um, that uh, yeah I, I find it very hard to uh, to accept. It's, it's just a very odd notion of courage that courage is a function of having a shield. You know, shields don't make you invulnerable, although it is certainly you know a question of what your psychological effect is, and this is um, something that we're talking you know that we're dealing with you know, worth thinking about in terms of. Uh, Iron Dome, like well, the way in which your psychology changes when you have a shield, even though your shield is not invulnerable, but there's just the it makes you feel less it makes you feel less um, uh, helpless if you have defense as well as offense. Uh, Marty, do you want to say something? Yeah, I can hear you. That's true. That's true, but do you are you in fear specifically because of a lack of a shield? Okay. Interesting. Okay, you're not. You know, I find I find a little bit of an odd metaphor. You know, so that you know, that that I, I can't uh, I can't argue with you. Okay, that's Ibn Ezra. Now the um, and what they're all trying to do, right? 
basically all these all these readings um right all these readings seem to um right seem seem to be saying that it's obvious in context that what Yeshua means uh right it's obvious in, it's obvious in context that what Yeshua uh I think you should should mute yourself again Marty uh it's obvious, it's not saying it's, it's obvious in context that what um that what what's going on is that they're Yeshua and Kalev are claiming that they're all afraid of us and this is all you know, related to Namogu Kul Yoshvechanan in as right, right in um in Az Yashir and in Rachov's claim that everybody's afraid of them. And we're trying to get the word Sartilam Melehem to mean that they're afraid. Um but it's not obvious that that's uh, what it means. So, so the Ksava Kabbalah or Mecklenburg in the nineteenth century um it tries an even a different way of getting it, right? It's Islamar uh, they're not in the shade, and therefore they're going to get sunstroke. Because we have an example of a lack of shade leading to weakness. The example is right that Yona faints um, when the when the kikayon uh, at the end, right, that the vine that's serving as a shade is uh, struck down. So too, right, we're claiming is that they're out that the, the Canaanites are now out in the sun without parasols. Uh, okay, that to me is like an even weirder uh, way of trying to get lack of shade to mean, uh, to, right? To mean all of a sudden that they're afraid, right? He says, "Udimion right? Because when you're afraid, you fit, you're you're faint, so you're faint, right? It, it seems to me that what's going on is just they're just struggling, they're struggling very hard to find a way to connect the language to what they think it has to mean. Um, okay, Rashbam tries it, um, right? So we, you have. Translations which don't help us very much, right? And then you have Hibnezra who claims that it's the they're in the position of a warrior feeling sort of sort of naked without their without their shield. And Ksava Kabbalah says they're out in the sun without uh, without a parasol. Rashbam says, So it's not entirely clear what that means right they don't they don't have a cover to be covered by uh they feel exposed uh it could be that he's right that there's nobody they can turn to that usually people have it right part of what gives people a sense of security is that there's somebody else who will defend them right somebody else gives them courage and so they have no they have no one to get courage from because it's as the mogul kolyoshvechanan that seems to me the that's the best way I have reading, of reading Rashbam um, right now. And in general, he's just developing this idea like that people are afraid when they're exposed. So the shield, that's a, you know, a, a version of Ibn Ezra without specifically relating to the experience of warriors. Just generally, uh, right? Generally, being exposed is a scary, is a scary feeling. Okay, right. So that, that's, I think, a whole series of commentaries who are trying to, uh, to bridge what, they, what they're sure is the meaning with a uh, with a, the word sale and basically trying to come with a literal meaning of the word sale and somehow trying to make it a um uh, a uh, a metaphor for fear um refresh develops um a, yeah, i think a, a more extreme version of this right he gets it starts he says hadam so he says everything that protects you is a sh- right, is a sh- is a sh- is a is a a shade right so shade generally is a metaphor for protection right sail means the same thing as magain now but here's, here's what he says 
they are capable of surviving. Right, so they can only survive so long as they're hiding in the sh- in the shadow, and nobody can see who they are. Right, so expo- they survive only when they are not exposed. But now he's trying to say literally, right? What is what is Yeshua and Kali saying? And then when we enter them, Hashem. So then God comes with us, Imamito with His truth, and with His judgment, right, which brings brings victory, salvation. And in the in the light of this, of the ra- the radiance of this truth, So now that right, God's bright, the bright light of God's truth will uh right will dispel the shadows they're hiding in. And their moral corruption will in its will, right will appear in its fullness by the light of the sun. And because of this moral corruption, they will be judged. Okay, so here's a right what's the reason that they feel the reason that the Canaanites feel exposed, but Yeshua's not even talking about the their feelings. It says is that they are living currently with uh, without direct divine judgment, and our coming into their midst will bring divine judgment. And so, don't worry about them, right? Because the shadow that has hidden them from uh, that has hidden them from God's judgment will uh, will disappear. So that's a totally different way of reading it, right? It's not about the psychology of the Canaanites at all. It's a theological claim that Bnei Israel's presence is going to uh, is going to uncover them. And therefore, there's no reason to be afraid, uh, which is a sort of ironic thing for Yeshua and Kali to be saying at the moment of the Jewish sin. Um, but okay, right? That's the uh, that's his claim. So it totally changed the uh, the axis of discussion. Uh, now, Rafersh is well aware uh, that Rashi says Sar Tzilam Maginam V'Cheskam. So Rashi sort of fudges, right? Their shield and their strength. Uh, there's, I guess we, oh, it's a Hendaides, it means something between shields and strength, or some combination, fine. But Rashi says, what does that mean? Kshirim Shebehem Mesu, right? That what's, that Yeshua and Kalev are making a claim about virtue, but not that the Jews' virtue will expose them by comparison, but rather the last virtuous members among them have died. Eov Shayama Genelem, right? So they, right, they're going to claim that Eov has been living in Canaan, and with the presence of the with the, the, the and he's died just now. So Yeshua and Kali are making a uh, are making an empirical claim. They no longer have anyone virtuous enough, and presumably that would right. This is a connection. That's the funeral that they're worship that they're observing when they enter when they enter Eretz uh, Yisrael is the death of uh, death of Eov or others among them. Okay, so that's a fascinating claim. We have to figure out how they know it, um, and why is it that the that right that their work Sherem Shemem those Sherem Shemem are not capable of reproducing, and how do we put that in the context of Rachel, who appears to be uh, a kshera, but I guess she's not a kshera enough to be begging on more than her family? Interesting claim. All right, so now, with the sh- right, so as opposed to you draw strength from other people's courage, you draw protection from other people's virtue. Um, right, obviously, right, Rashi um, is in the, um, is carrying the idea that of the of the tadikim of stone, right? So maybe there were ten virtuous Canaanites yet uh, who were capable of protecting them uh, from God's judgment. Okay, uh, Shlomo Gansfried, the uh, author of the Kitzur Shkonarach, uh, quotes Rashi, 
And he quotes Sforno, uh, who says that they that uh, if they no longer right, and draws the connection to Rachav, and says that there's no longer any um, that they regard themselves as bread. Interesting. You know, we could try and contrast that to the the other spies say right, uh, that we saw ourselves as grasshoppers, and the, so did they. And right, so uh, Yeshua and Kali respond as they saw themselves as bread, and, and we saw them as bread too. Uh, but he right, then he, he offers another literal reading. Uh, they have already thrown away their shields. Um, they already thrown away their shields um, in the expectation of our coming, and they're just planning to run away. So Sartilam Elohim is not a third person. Is not a um, Sar is not that it it you know is not imp- is not um, in the um, it's not indirect. Uh, I'm blanking on the fr- on, on the phrase uh, that, that the missing subject. It, it means that they themselves threw their shadows away. Okay, uh, interesting, fascinating empirical claim. Uh, the assumption there is that had the Jews succeeded in entering, then there would have been no battles. It's only because of the Chedem Raglan there are battles in the end. On the other hand, he connects it to Rachav, which happens after the Chedam Raglan, so tough to know how you fit that. Okay. He thinks that Rashi is uh, Rashi is right. He has a very fancy reading because he thinks that the word Yura, um, when uh, connected by Et, uh, relates to Yura's Haromimus. Right? So fam- right, there's always two kinds of Yura, this fear and awe. And Et, Tira, he thinks, always means uh, always means Yura's Haromimus. And therefore, obviously, on a spiritual plane, I have to say I don't find this terribly, terribly convincing at all. And so we're left with so far two models of Sartilam. One model of Sartilam is that it's a metaphor for lack of courage. And another meta- another notion of uh, Sar- uh, another, another notion of Sartilam is that it's a reference to uh, spiritual exposure. And then here's a claim right, that it's not even a metaphor; it's an actual description. Right back, right? We have. Um, right, his, uh, throwing the throwing the throwing the, um, the the shields away, but again, like two kinds of notions: lack of courage, right, in some way, right, reflection of readiness to run or spiritual exposure. Okay, Rav Yosef Bechorshor comes up with a very uh, right, uh, has a very different notion of spiritual exposure. I assume that he has Rashi in front of him, but instead of saying that their spiritual exposure is a function of the death of their righteous, um, or of our entering, but that's a much later idea. He says, right? Their their tzel is God. Right? God is the God is the shadow and the guardian for all people. So God has removed His shade from them. give them over to us. But God is with us. Right? So this is Hashem Shomrecha, Hashem Silcha Al Yadiminecha. Right? So we have a different use of 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 shadow. Right? God is your shadow. And um, and they no longer have God as their shadow. Okay, right. So it's not it, it's spiritual exposure, in the sense that right everybody it seems right all human beings all human beings have a kind of an amudanan around them I guess, and they right and they have now they they are now lacking this. So that's a a, um, a an interesting right a third is not it's not. That who they are is exposed spiritually, but somehow they lose divine protection. Okay, how do we know this? And what does it mean? I don't know. Hamek um, Davar comes up with what I think is a utterly fascinating, uh, utterly fascinating read of extension. I think of the Forshore's idea, um, and it, 
that makes everyone always read the Nitziv is always fascinating because he says things that I think really, you know, he, he's, he is a wild mifadesh um, um, who I think never experiences himself as being original. He thinks he's saying Pashup um, Shat. And you'll have to see how you, uh, right, how you, how you react to it. He says, Everybody has a mazal. Okay, what does a mazal um, mean? And he, and he connects this to So is when Kayan uh, complains that anger, right, you have you have chased me out today from the land. And whatever whoever or whatever finds me will kill me. So. Right, so that is uh, the idea, right? That Kain so far, right? Kain has lost whatever ordinarily protects human beings, um, right? And therefore, we have to, and you end up with the right with the the oath of Kain, mar- the mark of Kain, to uh, to protect him. So, what is this thing that Kain that has protected Kain, right? That's the same as the Chorshor. There's some there's some kind of natural protection of human beings that God provides that is lacking. So the Nitziv says over there. That people who do not generally get killed by um, by beasts or by um, by by damaging human beings, in the way that animals are subject to it, uh, people don't ordinarily get injured by other people, as opposed to animals. A really interesting claim. Uh, you know, I think that we, this I live in a world where um, animals in ordinary life, just you know, dom- the, the kind of domestic animals he's talking about, I think don't uh, aren't present in our lives enough that we could say, oh my goodness, animals often get hurt by people as opposed to humans. Uh, but apparently that that is the Gemara's sense. Uh, so it seems there are three reasons that's so. And the first one, the one that matters to us, is that Adam itle mazala ukid isa resh. Um, okay, so Chavamekdavar connects Tzel to Tzelem. That's right. Tzelem is right that uh, tel, the right, the Tzelem Elokim is that which protects human beings from being killed by animals. Now, what does that mean? So he tells you in Bereshit Aleph Chavav, B'Tzalmenu, Tabet Kimo B'Toch Tzalmenu. So don't think he says that. Human beings are created. Human beings are created in the image of God, meaning sharing the image of God. And uh, he's picking up on bitzalmenu kidmutenu. It's not even like the image of God. It means bitochtzalmenu. Right within. Right. This is the Rashi's model that Tzalmenu is the mold of God, perhaps. But maybe with our Tzalmenu. It's not that human beings are the Tzalmenu, but they're created with the Tzalmenu. And what does that mean? Shadam yeshlo mazal. Rashi Shabbat Tamach Allah Bet Shahu Malach, that the Tzalem Alakim is an angel. Vizehu Tzalem Alakim Hamistavavo, Umegin Alav Minezek. So, Chitziv has this wild image that um, human beings are enclosed, surrounded by their Tzalem, uh, right, which is uh, their shadow. Which uh, right, their their shat uh, really uh, the best way to translate it's tell it's a mold but it's a mold that functions as a shadow, and it's that tzelam elokim that protects it, that gives human beings the that cre- that creates the mora morad chem chem that creates the terror that animals have in the presence of human beings, 
and that's what the right, and that's what the Canaanites lose. Right? We're back to the Sivanasik Parsha, aside from the strength of their bodies. Human beings also have a mazal, which is like a spiritual shadow in the right in the physical world. Um, and just like that, um, just like you have your shadow below, you also get protected by your your, right, your angel in heaven. But the Canaanites, but they are le- right, they're left purely physical. They don't have whatever this metaphysical dimension um, is. So I'm always uncomfortable any any time somebody wants to claim that any group of human beings, even historical human beings, don't have the Selim Elohim. It's a little bit less troubling to be here because the Selim Elohim doesn't mean uh, it doesn't mean their spiritual stature. It's some kind of right. It's, you know, it's more like a force field generated around them. Very very odd idea. The Siv consistently says. That that is the um, that's what Selim Elokim means, and he makes some very strong uh, claims about what Selim Elokim means. Right, he says, for example, therefore, people are not afraid of engaging in battles with a don- with um, with uh, oxen or with donkeys. Now, I don't you know there there is such a thing as bullfighting. I'm not aware of any sport of donkey fighting. There are people who wrestle alligators. Um, I don't wrestle alligators, and I'm scared of dogs. So it's whole idea is uh, kind of uh, difficult for me. I hope that I don't lack of Selim Elohim because I am more afraid of dogs than they are uh, of me. Um, but the Steve claimed that even the human being's capacity to dominate animals, even though animals are stronger than them, um, and he claims, right, again, you know, that it's not dangerous to be around animals. Even if because of your sins you don't succeed in killing the animal, but at least you escape. The animal doesn't kill you. Uh, right? Just like people escape from animals they can't overpower. I really have no idea what image, uh, what, ima- what, you know, what the, the physical notion that Siv is, is talking about here. Um, and the, is, I, I'm much happier with Selim Elohim uh, being much more directly um, some sense of similarity um, to God, as opposed, right? But uh, what I get out of this, as opposed to, as opposed to, as, um, in addition to just introducing the idea to you, is the um, is the idea that Sel and Selim are connected, and it is true as uh, as Deborah says that we eat uh, animals far more often than they eat us. Uh, of course, there are a lot more animals than there are us, um, and we generally, and the reason that we're not eaten by animals, I think, is mostly in many ways, we don't live around uh, carnivores, um, and we do shoot them. We shoot man-eating tigers. But okay, I still, you know, it's right. Despite that, I think that I'm probably more scared of tigers than they are of me. Although happily, we have not had uh, any uh, any close contact. Okay, Ramban, um, which is where where the sieve was coming from. Uh, Ramban uh, quotes right quotes Rashi. Uh, right, quotes, right, he has a version of where Bechor Shor is in Rashi. I don't think we have that in Rashi, although maybe I missed it. Uh, right, that the shade, that Silo Shel Makom, that God's shade over them has, has uh, left. And he quotes Ibn Ezra. And then he says, right, a wholly different notion. Right, 
Everybody knows that on the night in which the, your Gzardin comes, you don't have a shadow. Right, so, right, so if you wander through the right, through Canaanite uh, culture, you would discover that the Canaanites are all vampires. They have all lost their shadows because you lose your shadow on the, at least at some, there, there was a night at which they all lost their shadow because the night where death is decreed, you lose your uh, you lose your shadow. It also refers to the angel above, but that's a fascinating notion which people pick up that there's uh, right that maybe it's Oshana Rabba because Oshana Rabba is the night of Chasimas uh, Chasimas uh, Gvardin. Uh, so here we have another uh, right, you know another very I guess literal uh, claim. Sartzilam Melehem means that uh, they have lost their right, literally lost the lost their shadows. Uh, so we'll see later, right? So there's um, uh, right. So, so the um, the Chassam Sofer says the same thing, and he really cites that death really comes in two parts. Uh, that's right. That there's you're losing your tail, um, right? He says like right, uh, right. And that's and so the um, so the the Nadav and Aviu really really die by losing their tail before they finally die. And he explains I you know some oddities about the text. Um, of the text of the death of not of a view, thereby claiming that there's two kinds, uh, two kinds of um, of death. So Rabbeinu, uh, Rabbeinu um, Bechaya, uh comes along, and he says, right? He says, Kishi Agia. I take quotes the pasuk in um, Shira Shirim, Atriyakuach Hayom, Benasuha Silalim. Right? So when the day, uh, when the day begins to fade and the um, and the shadows flee. So he takes that right as you know, reasonably as a metaphor for old age and the and uh, and the impending nature of death, um, and right. So the end is right. So as you select silo, then a person loses their tail and comes closer to the tail, the tail of Hashem. That's what Hashem silcha means. Because it said the shadow flees. came shnayim badam. So this is right here. We're going beyond, I guess, say my uh, by pay grade in a certain sense. There is a Gemara which says that the uh, way in which you can tell uh, the difference between human beings and demons is that human beings have umbras and penumbras. Our shadow, right, our shadows have shadows, but demons' shadows don't have shadows. They live in a in a world which is uh, much more black and white. Uh, right, so there's no gray area around their shadow. Uh, I learned this because at some point, um, a junior counselor in a division I was counselor in decided to tell demon stories to a bunk, a bunch, a bunk of uh, ten, eleven-year-olds, and they were all utterly, utterly, utterly terrified that um, and that uh, what appeared to be their counselors were actually demons, and they wanted us all to go stand under the light so they could examine our shadows. Who knew? Um, okay, right. So that is a uh, right. So. So the here we have a very literal claim that Sartilam means that death has been decreed upon them, and um, and either their shadow or the shadow of their shadow or both have been uh, eliminated eliminated as a result. Okay, um, but then right what I, you know, aside from this interesting thing, I wanted to point out that um, at the end he right he comes up with a connection you would expect. That there's uh, right, lachmenu heim sar silam. Well, so lechem refers to Pesach, and silam means right, and silam refers to Sukkah. So right, so we our tail beats the, our our tail beats their tail. Okay, fine.
um, Rabag uh, comes along and says that uh, right, he's trying to connect this to the narrative that there are all these right there are all these funerals when the spies come, and it, right and the spies the right the other ten spies reach the conclusion as a result of this that the um, that the land is unhealthy, and he says no don't think the land is unhealthy. Right, the Amrzeh, what they're saying by Sarat Silam Alehem is, Rabim Sham Bayusham Cholim Rabim. They see there are lots of, lots of 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 dying and and dying and sickly people there. So Yeshua and Kalev say that this is It's not because they live in an environmentally polluted land, which is unhealthy. It's because they are a decadent culture. So they're, right, Sarat Silam Elihem is not a positive thing. You don't have to be afraid of them because they lost their sale. It means you don't have to be afraid of the land because the people in it are dying not because of anything to do with the land, but because it's just, they've just reached that a metaphysical condition of, uh, of, of corruption. Okay, I, uh, I, I again, uh, what I would say at this point here is we have a number of attempts to try and explain what what Yeshua and Kalev are saying to them at the Sar Silam. Uh, and it's not, to my mind, uh, really terribly convincing. Um, there's no there's, right, there's no argument you can verify. And you know, saying we saw that we, I, in claiming that you saw that they're sha- they, they didn't have shadows. Um, and how are you explaining what's different from what the other the other ten spies are saying, right? So this is now you can say that um, you know that any convincing argument is obviously wrong as an explanation of what they're saying. It should because in fact the reaction of the people is to stone them. Um, you can read the first thing is that they're saying, look, you know what? I know that they're militarily stronger than us, but I can tell you that they're psychologically uh, they're psychologically in terror. And so you don't have to worry. And other people say, like, you know, I don't, you know, I think you're projecting. There's no reason they should be psychologically in terror. And uh, and again, like, why do you, how do you know this when the other ten say that we look like grasshoppers to them? Um, so that's the meta, right, and the claims of metaphysical that they're, you know, that they're metaphysically already dead. That seems very strange and hard. And the notion that God has ceased to protect them, it's okay, um, but doesn't have any. It's not clear how we connect that in um, to anything right why should that suddenly be true now why should they believe you it's not at all clear to me what any right how any of these things actually if I, you know these were all the interpretations i had i would say that i found i find this pasuk still enormously uh, enormously puzzling um really you know, it doesn't doesn't convince me at all okay so there is an interpretation that i really like which i'm going to give you um now and you can tell me if you like it as well i'm not you know it's one of the things where I really like it, but it also um, imports a uh, imports a, a a presumption about the way in which the text functions. It's I, I think that this is, uh, and I think I'm following Ramban in this generally. This is a, you know an organizing assumption of Chumash, and so it should not surprise you at all that it's referred to here. But you can tell me if you find it convincing or not. So here's the Maseh Hashem. This is a um, uh, 16th or 17th century, I never quite remember. Uh, right, it's a, a nephew of the Marik, so it's uh, right, 16th century. Um, Rebbe Lezer, Rebbe Yehoshua Ashkenazi, um, commentary, really interesting commentary, uh, says the following. 
Ve'amrim saratilam. So what does saratilam mean? Bi'arnuhu bimar'eh bein ha'bitarim b'chelik b'et. So we explained it. We explained this at the bridge. Shemashin emar sham shelo shalem avunah emuri zeush amar kalev saratilam shekvar shalem avunam. Okay, right. So the ref- so the claim of saratilam is that we have historical framing of the right of the um, the Jewish experience in Israel, which is that they're told that they have to be in Israel because the sin of the Amorites is not yet complete. And everyone understands this, right? And so what Yeshua and Kalev are saying is our perception of the, I, I would say is our perception of their culture, um, although I could also be claiming you know, some kind of prophetic insight, is that the time is up and whatever, right, the order of protection they were getting, Right, they were granted until such time as their measure of sin is fulfilled, is over, and that's what the tzel, right, specifically means. It's not, it's not a general divine protection; it's that specific decree that they could not be dispossessed until shalem avon, avon emori. Right, this is picked up by the 19th century Il Moshe. Um, right, remember this is a sort of uh, amongst the uh, the maskilim, uh, Jewish maskilim from maskilim, 19th century. Right, so the, the advantage of having the Brit Ben-Mitarim is that they know, like Rabbi Akiva, that the worse it gets, right, right so the, wor- the terrible things are fulfillments of prophecy, and therefore redemption has to follow behind them. Um, right, so therefore he says, Certainly, all the Jews know that claim. Saying, you know that up until now, the Canaanites have lived in the shadow of God, who for every reason decreed that they were protected. But now their sin is complete, and the time has come. And therefore, right, so that's what right, Yeshua, Yeshua and Kalev are saying. Nothing about the military situation matters because what we're just living in, we're just living in in, uh, in messianic times. Right, so it seems to be a very interesting read of Yeshua and Kalev, and also interesting that it doesn't convince anybody. Um, okay, that um, that's that. I, I still think is really the is that's the explanation that I like best. Um, it takes the tale as a metaphor, um, and it sort of builds on all the claim. The, as opposed to a general claim of spiritual exposure, it makes a very specific claim of divine protection and spiritual exposure. Um, but I have to admit that it's—I don't really have a prior use of the word tzel, um in that in that sense. So I understand why people are attracted to tell him. Um There is a right, there, there is um, an, another attempt to try and connect it to Tzalmovit. But that also doesn't seem very compelling because the psalm of it has certainly not been removed um, from them. Okay, uh, Ibn Ezra and Tehillim tries to connect, the, right, connect again a different connection uh, to Tehillim. He makes the connection, keep it Tehillim like you know, of it. Um, but he thinks that really other totally wild interpretation of uh, um, but a Tehillim means something changeable. Right, the Tzelim, but this again connects us to the astrological realm. Very, very odd 
Um, okay. Um, Rechayim connected to the the Tzotam Mechayotam Kvarhutram Elim, right? The spark that keeps them alive. It's a very interesting notion to compare a shadow to a uh, shadow to a spark. Um, but let's uh, right. So the, the the last thing I want to show you is that the Rechayim connects this. Right, it says Tzotam Elim. So he can right. So he says right. He connected into a larger narrative where the Jews are also perhaps worried about having lost their tail. So he says, Kifaruahu, Perush, Tsar Telamelehem, right, that the when the Jews leave um when the Jew when the Jew in the aftermath of the Cheta Egel, so Moshe sees the Jews Perua, and what is right which also in some right Perua can also mean uncovered and exposed. So it means Perush, right, and it's obvious that the Urachaim is trying to make the connection to Arpasuk. Sartilamelehem. The Jews lose their tail uh after the after the Cheta Egel. Right, so, so whatever some aura of God was upon them, and it's right, and now their covering has been removed, and you can see the same image. And he says, "What right? He for Oah Haron. So why is Aaron responsible for their uncovering? So Aaron for the Jews, right? He claims that Aaron is blameless in the Egel. Uh, Aaron and the, Aaron serves the same function for the Jews, for the Jews coming for the Jews coming to Canaan." Uh, serve, right, serve for the Canaanites allegedly, right, which is to expose their sins by their relative innocence. So that's a very strong reading of the uh, of the story of the eagle that Aaron is so virtuous by comparison that exposes the sin of the Jews. Um, the challenge of Orachayim's reading is if the Jews have lost their tail also, so all called Yeshua are saying is they're the same as us, so why is that a convincing argument at all? I think you'd have to claim either that the word sail is a general word of referring to aura, or the Jews have lost one kind of aura, but the Canaanites have lost an even more basic aura. Um, I think you'd have to make a claim like that. Um, I don't really have a way of making it uh, of making it convincing. One could claim that you know, after all this, that Sarat Silam is is an idiom that any anyone in biblical times would have recognized uh, would have recognized immediately. Uh, everyone, every, everyone understands that Sartzilam uh, means that they're uh, that they're in a condition condition of extreme vulnerability, and you shouldn't spend so much time thinking about the the uh, the etiology or the etymology of the, of the idiom, because it just you know, means you know it just means that they're that they're toast, right? So we try to figure out like what what does it mean to say that somebody is toast? We can have all sorts of theories as to how we get back to claiming somebody is toast. It's because it, there were toasters, and when you ring, ring and uh, the, at the end, when the toast is done, it rings a bell, and so to be toast is to mean that you're al- you're already done. But that's not you know say you're toast, but we sort of all get it. Um, I don't know. So I, that's present as a as, you know, as a pure partial of cheer. Uh, I think it, it in the end it's, it it takes what seems like a fairly straightforward intuitive notion, but you can see people are struggling because what makes it intuitive that there's some kind of intuitive sense people have that. To lose your shadow is to make you vulnerable, or right? But it's not clear. Is it losing your shadow, or is it losing the thing which gives you shade, right? So we wanted to do a straight philological, right, philological analysis. That would be it, right? Is the is their tail, the right, the thing, the shade that they provide, or is the sh- or is their tail the thing that gives them shade? Um, is it somehow related to death, like the tail tail of it, or is it? Related to the thing which gives you life, which is right, which is a tzelem. 
uh, doesn't mean that there's something fundamental about them that's lost, or does it mean that there's something that was protecting them from us that's lost, or does it mean that somehow God is not shielding them uh, as he had been previously? Uh, I don't. Yeah, I think I I have the parish I like, which is the um, the mas the Masay Hashem and Hoyal Moshe, but I can't claim that from a pure parshanist perspective it's the most convincing. Uh, okay, that's all I had to say uh, this week. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. Thank you.